The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Alec McFarlane with Reuters Breaking News based in Hong Kong. Last year was a blowout year for venture capital fundraising in China. Ant Financial raised $14 billion in a single round. Pinduoduo raised $3 billion before it went public. But since then, deal activity has dwindled and fundraising has slowed significantly. Joining me in the studio to talk about this turn of events is Jishun Fu, managing partner at GGB Capital. Jishun is consistently recognized among the top VCs in China and counts 12 of his investments as mega unicorns, including Didi Shixing, Seatrip, uh, and Tujia, which is China's answer to Airbnb. Welcome to the studio. Thank uh, you. Jishin. Um, so, so yeah, my first question is, so venture capital deals and fundraising in China has, has fallen sharply recently. What was driving the slump? Yeah, sure. Um, th- so if, if you look at the whole um, innovation um, momentum that happened since 2011 with mobile internet, um, alongside it with it is the share economy, the whole idea of share economy, O2O, etc. So that carries a lot of the investment momentum that we saw in the, you know, I would say through 2017 and maybe first half of 2018. I think that innovation momentum has since kind of like plateaued and uh, we've seen a couple of, you know, IPOs, uh, a number of IPOs last year. Some did relatively okay, but there are quite a few that actually kind of fell, you know, fall short of the expectation. So I think we are seeing a lot of these sort of uh, shift back from the market and the signaling effect. And so the innovation momentum that we saw years ago is kind of slowing down. Then again, if you look forward, and we have kind of explored the the idea of 5G, and there's been quite a bit of conversation around 5G in China, I think that will bring a new set of innovations and a new uh, set of momentum uh, and capital deployment uh, behind that. So I think things like that goes in cycle, and I will say it's it's one of those natural sort of a slowdown, if you will, and we'll see when the next innovation curve comes or momentum comes, uh, more capital could be deployed. Now, there is a fair amount of capital being raised last year, including ourselves. We raised close to $1.9 billion. Uh, Our peers, uh, Sequoia, Hill House, and others have raised uh, a lot of capital as well. So there's capital to to be deployed. And there are pockets of hotspots. Um, So in the areas of enterprise, cloud computing, uh, we are seeing companies and our portfolio companies getting multiple term sheets uh, and reasonably uh, good valuation. So there is hotspots that are still getting a lot of tractions, a lot of interest. But on a broad-based level, uh, if you look at the macro numbers, yes, it has come down. And, and some of the aversion from investors, I mean, what is the main point of concern, would you say, and, and how warranted is it? I think that for the investors, um, is if you are looking at some of the later stage stuff and some of the names that you mentioned, it's really mark to market and really looking at what the capital markets and the future value of that company is going to be. And so quite a number of investors got burned, right, uh, for some of the late stage deals that were done earlier and went IPO and now is kind of underwater. So that creates a, a certain angst and questions around uh, valuations. Um, so investors really want to look at, you know, valuations and gone are the days where you just look at growth and uh, top line numbers and people are looking at burn and you know 
possibility of profitability numbers uh, today. So I think you are seeing many more companies actually switching gears from growth to profitability. And that, that is going to matter a lot to investors. And for you, what's the biggest kind of issue with the current market that's, that's keeping you awake at night and how are you addressing it? Well, I think we, well, I sleep pretty well. <laughs> so, so I think there's, um, there's still everything that's happening with US, I think in the enterprise space, one of our portfolio companies like just went IPO, which is, you know, great performance. And we have quite a number of lineups in our US portfolio going out, similarly in China. So I think that's a, that's a healthy pipeline, really depends on how the Capital market re, uh, reception. Uh, we'll see in the next twelve to eighteen months on some of these IPOs. I think beyond the markets, I think China. We are really looking at going beyond consumer, going into enterprise AI slash robotics, uh, driving some of the uh, productivity and efficiency uh, efficiency growth uh, in in the market. So that those are the areas where we start to look at a lot. I would add that the other markets that we spend quite a bit of time thinking about is the emerging markets, the next billion users, uh, which my partner Hans uh, kind of spoke about most recently. Um, India, Southeast Asia, Latin America combined, that's like the next billion users. And their consumption behavior is shifting from less than an hour a day to, you know, China is four hours a day in terms of internet usage. Uh, so the, the mobile internet adoption is just at the beginning. The usage adoption will continue to rise. There'll be more services that will be launched. And so that is, um, you know, the next billion opportunity that's out there uh, in this emerging markets, which we are also trying to um, explore. Great. And I mean, China hasn't been through a big bust like the US did after the dot-com boom, has it? So are there any signs of a similar shakeout around the corner in China? And if so, what could trigger one, would you say? I think we've seen some of these sort of uh, bubble that came up. In fact, in 2000, I recall there was a bubble in China, although it wasn't as prominent. So Sina, Sohu, Nadis at that time went IPO and, you know, yeah, the combined stock value were collapsed below 200 million US mm. back in 2001, 2002. Um, and then you have the rise of the BATs that come later. Um, so we've seen cycles like this, even though they are smaller, and we've seen cycles in 2008, the financial crisis, and we may be seeing a little bit of a, quite a bit of a slowdown uh, that you just mentioned as well, and uh, companies kind of shifting gears to beyond growth into more positive unit economics. So I don't kind of feel that there is going to be a major bubble burst that will kind of collapse the market. I think you have hotspots that collapse and there may be some phoenix that rise from the ashes. Uh, one of our portfolio company, Hello Bike, is in the bike sharing space and mm. arguably there were a euphoria around it and you have all sorts of colors, colored bikes on the street uh, and then it collapsed. And oh, that's what you talk about, the, like small kind of microcosms collapsing. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's this one major player that will eventually emerge out of it. Mm. So I think we'll see more of that micro collapse versus a macro collapse in, in the market. Are you seeing any signs of stress in, in private valuations? Say, has there been a bit of a rise in down rounds recently or anything like that? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's all sectors dependent or verticals dependent. So that, that's really dependent on the addressable uh, service, you know, whether it's consumer versus enterprise. 
I would say in the selected areas, there is pressure on valuation. Um, if you are doing a ride-sharing service today, or if you are in that uh, travel service today, if in a more mature area, and if you have not gained leadership in a particular vertical, you are less likely to gain momentum and you are more likely to get down rounds. And so there is definitely reset in some of, some of these verticals. But there are also pockets of hotspots, like I mentioned. Um, if you look at uh, enterprise cloud computing, a couple of our portfolio companies like Kujala is doing very well. Um, this is in the enterprise uh, services for renovation and contractors using their software, which is kind of a AutoCAD 3D Max equivalent to help them service their customer. And they are getting quite good momentum in terms of valuation up rounds. What about the disconnect between public and private market valuations? Just kind of looking at Meituan, which hasn't done too badly. It's not too far under its its IPO price. But I mean, Xiaomi has nearly yeah. halved, right? Yeah. Um, what are the kind of implications for you know the pipeline of, of companies like Didi and and Financial that are that are, that are queuing up to you know to raise money in the public markets? Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, investors are looking at your uh, ability to generate that revenue slash profitability over time to justify for that valuation. Um, so, so they are looking not beyond growth. Uh, they are looking for proof points in the business that shows the financial viability. So, I think whether it's the DD or the Ant or the Meituan and you know Xiaomi, uh, Xiaomi itself also needs to find growth beyond the China market and into some of the other emerging markets. So I think in order for you to justify your valuations, you have to address the market concerns, which is not just uh, simply growth, but you know healthy financial projections. It does kind of feel that um, you know if you if you continue having stress in in the public and private markets, it's going to be very difficult for. A lot of companies to raise money. I mean, are there a kind of uh, certain kind of sectors that you think will will survive an environment where it becomes very difficult to raise money in, in private and, and public markets, and and ones that uh, so ones that will survive and, and ones that might struggle. Yeah. So I think it really comes down to the again the sector and the thesis. Um, so if you are in already a very proven. Um, market where there's obvious leaders. So if you were to try to list an e-commerce company today, it gets more difficult. Obviously, you have already Alibaba and JDs and whatnot. And so what? how are you different in this story uh, versus these uh, juggernauts that's already out there? Um, so I think really it comes down to the verticals. Um, but there are also um, new categories and new verticals and new stories um, in for example, logistics, in education, in healthcare. Um, these are new verticals that you have not seen category leaders, and these leaders could still be rewarded for their uh, upside potential uh, in the capital markets, and they will still be welcome in the capital markets. Is, is this having any kind of positive results for you as a, as a VC investor? So with, with some of this kind of pressure, are you getting better terms on deals, for example? Yeah, I think that valuation um, again there are areas where you start to see pressure and down rounds and whatnot and these are areas that the thesis may already been played out and it may or it may be broken um, you know 
even though it may be lower valuation, you may not want to touch it. And then you have areas where it's still emerging, and we are seeing that uh, valuation has not really come down a whole lot. Uh, what you do have is you have more time. So you have more time for your diligence, you have more time to exercise your, uh, your judgment uh, compared to previously, there's so much interest and momentum and multiple term sheets in the, rel- rel- the competitive environment drives up the valuation and drives up, it shortens the time to your, to your due diligence. Whereas now you just have a little bit more lag uh, mm-hmm. to actually observe and identify with the, with the growth momentum with the company. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing like at the, the kind of peak uh, last year when like Ant and Pinduoduo yeah. and, and Mang Bang raised like you know, record sums of money. Yeah. Were you seeing were there any kind of like uh, sort of loosening of terms that were particularly onerous for you? Um, and if, if so, if, if this kind of downturn continues, like how would those terms The terms do change. Yeah. And there, there may be more bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you are absolutely right. Valuation may not fully reflect everything because the bells and whistles may be more. Uh, yeah. Protective provisions may be more uh, to protect your downside. Uh, and sometimes to secure upside, like you issue war, you get warrants coverage mm-hmm. uh, in your terms. So we are adding bells and whistles mm-hmm. uh, to our uh, sort of investment terms, if you will, mm-hmm. um, where you have leverage, you could do that. Okay, oh, that's interesting. So what, what kind of bells and whistles are investors adding to their, their terms these days? Well, I think one is just, you know, two, two types, right? One is really protect your downside, mm-hmm. giving you the the, the, the necessary redemption or, or liquidation preference and you know terms like that. Um, and then there is the upside where it's more driven by warrants and other terms that gives you that pop in, in the market. Mm-hmm. Where are you guys like seeing the most opportunity at the moment and, and what are you avoiding in terms of sector or um, subsector? I would say that in general, we we look a lot at we continue to look at um, the big enterprise services. I think that's we we think that cloud services enterprise is, is big going forward, and selected verticals are pretty exciting, like education, mm-hmm. uh, logistics, healthcare, uh, health tech in general, um, property tech, prop tech. So. So these are verticals that we are continue to observe as we migrate from 4G to 5G areas that relates to smart cities, smart buildings. It gets more interesting, and that's where I think in China, in US, we um, we spend quite a bit of time looking at these new frontiers, and then there is the emerging markets, as I mentioned earlier, is the just the next billion users and the consumption shift with these next billion users as they go from offline to online. And that's kind of the other big area where we are trying to spend time. Sure. And how are sort of global disruptions to supply chains as a result of trade tensions and these attacks on Huawei and the Japan career situation, how are those kind of changing GGV's investment approach at the moment? Well, it doesn't change us too much, but obviously it's a phenomenal that we have to uh, look at. You know, I think the supply chain shift is not that straightforward. Mm. There may be pockets of areas where things can move, uh, the final assembly could shift, but it's a really an ecosystem. You can't just you know, plug and play into a different environment. Um, so there's such a supply chain, as, as, as the name suggests, is, is, the, is a whole chain of players in the market that has to, go, that has to play along with it. 
and the amount of leverage and investments and ease of move is just very, very different. So we think that that is, that is the a trend that we have to identify with and it could create new opportunities for us. Such rather, as? Well, it will be, so when the supply have to shift, there may be more productivity gain. There are certain type of, uh, there has to be a replacement to a component, to a solution versus the existings uh, because it has been plucked out of the system. So there will be a new, there may be new alternatives that needs to be plugged in mm-hmm. into the supply chain. And just going back to, it's almost kind of, you know, just the way that China has managed to avoid like a dot-com bubble crash. Like how, mm. how has China managed that? It's almost kind of like a magic trick if you think of, you know, I mean, this, this nearly spans 20 years without mm-hmm. like a big crash. Like mm. how, how, is, how has the country managed that? Well, I would say that they're still, I mean, they're still doing a lot to try to attract new investments into the market. I think China continues to be opening up despite everything that's happening today. There are efforts to open up the economy from the different verticals to financial services, etc. So I think that will continue to help propel some of these opportunities going forward. Mm. Um, obviously, some the, the reallocation, um, the outflow of some of the supply chain will, will continue regardless uh, because because of the cost labor arbitrage issue. And many have actually shifted outside of China, even before this thing all started. Uh, They have shifted to Vietnam, they have shifted to Indonesia, uh, in different parts of the emerging markets uh, where cost is lower. But having said that, uh, things are, things take time. The shift in this supply chain, it takes a much longer time than, than we would expect. Yeah. Um, well, that's all we got time for. Thank you so much, Jishan, for, yeah. for coming on. It's been a, a really interesting chat. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Not at all. Right. Thank you. Right. The Exchange is produced by Sharon Lamb and Freddie Joyner. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out every day on breakingviews.com. Do tune in for the next edition.